Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, bringing you today another great practitioner, colleague, peer of yours to talk about content marketing. So, Marissa Cavanaugh is joining me from McGraw Hill Education in the greater New York City area. Marissa, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing really, really well. It's, uh, I'm over here on the other coast in, in California. And I, I said the greater New York City because it's my favorite city on the planet. I grew up in Port Washington, Long Island, and have just such great memories of going into the city with my folks for dinners and plays. And so every time I come back, just absolutely love New York. How's New York this time of year? It's gorgeous. It's uh, summer, clear, sunny, and hot, which is kind of the best way to be in New York. So it's, it's a beautiful day here. Nice. Well, I'll be out soon. I know before the end of the year, but not, <laughs> not soon enough. Just, just love it. So let's talk about your career history a little bit. You know, you have such a great passion for content marketing. And I think for us to get to that point, it would be helpful to talk a little bit about your background. I think I was kidding with you when we talked the last time I said, you, you haven't been really able to hold a steady job. Uh, and, the, and the joke was, you know, she's been there for 11 and a half years at McGraw-Hill, 11 and a half years. And through that tremendous career uh, progression, um, almost every year, year and a half promoted into different, different roles, but you didn't start in a traditional marketing role. You're more in, in product marketing. So take us through your career journey and what some of those experiences kind of led you to where you are today and, and your passions. That's funny. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny you said that because I didn't think about it until you mentioned it, but you're right. I, I have kind of jumped um, position to position at McGraw-Hill over the past decade or so. Um, but where I started actually was originally in product marketing here. So I actually started as a marketing coordinator or marketing like specialist assistant kind of at the bottom level. Um, doing basic stuff across the board um, for all different lists and disciplines and course areas. And where I kind of moved about through the company over the years was into different product categories like our digital materials, our platforms, and kind of online services. Um, doing a little bit more of sales or kind of product-specific promotions. And that's sort of where I, I kind of got the bug for content development because mm-hmm. A lot of the product stuff, of course, it was pretty lean in terms of resources. So we would do a lot of our own flyers or sales pitches or PowerPoint decks or kind of basic collateral pieces. And it was something that the perfectionist in me, of course, always wanted to do more of, be fancier, get more visuals, more uh, kind of sales pitches across. And I developed from there kind of an interest in exploring that in more detail and more kind of marketing materials. Um, and there was a position opening up in our central marketing team, oh, what, three years ago, um, that I jumped at that had to do with developing content for the entire higher education group um, for thought leadership, you know, articles, uh, white papers, all different kinds of video material. Um, and it kind of progressed from there to where I'm at now. And you've, you've been there for such a long period of time that you've been able to see McGraw-Hill, their business evolve and change. Uh, Any of us who went to school, uh, I think that's most of us uh, have seen McGraw-Hill on the back of our, of our books and our textbooks and and such. And I imagine over 
this past decade, as so much has gone digital, you've seen McGraw-Hill's products lines change and, and the digital products and, and rolling some of that out. Your background, right? Um, I was stalking you a little bit uh, on LinkedIn as we got to know each other. And you studied English and literature and, and minored in business. So you're one of those rare people, kind of like myself, where what you studied and your passions uh, you brought into the, the workplace. Mine was technology and, and marketing. What's, what's it been like in terms of seeing McGraw-Hill's business evolve, but at the same time then taking the company from a more traditional marketing approach to so heavy in, in digital? It's been kind of crazy because, I mean, 10 years alone is, is not that long a time, I, I would say, for McGraw-Hill. I mean, the company's been around for about 130 years, but the past 10 to 11 years have been kind of a dramatic shift for almost everybody. Um, I mean, we've been, we were a traditional publisher in every sense of the word for, for many, many years, but things change, of course. I mean, the advent of any sort of technology, not just as a computer, but in the palm of your hand on a phone has kind of made students extremely different in the way they learn. So I remember getting hired at McGraw-Hill um, kind of at the start of it all and mm-hmm. having discussions on how they were going to even offer something as simple as an ebook to our customers online. And flash forward to today, we have, you know, adaptive programs and game-based simulations. And that's just over the, the 10 years of my career. Amazing. Um, that's kind of moved at light speed, if you will. Going to a completely interactive, more interactive experience, not, not just taking traditional copy that was in a hardbound book or softbound book and just putting it on the web, but cha- leveraging the power of the web and digital experiences and, and uh, delivering content an interactive platform. It's, it's very cool. Completely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy how things have grown. I mean, when we, when I started um, as a coordinator, when I started at McGraw-Hill, our marketing copy was exactly what you said. It was the copy on the back of a textbook, mm-hmm. um, literally what you would print out and potentially put as a flyer in someone's mailbox um, was the extent of, of what we were kind of thinking about at the time. I'm sure colleagues smarter than me were maybe thinking bigger at the scale, but at least I wasn't. <laughs> um, but in now today, I mean, we've transformed so much in terms of how we have to think about our kind of content delivery to our customers because it has to be way more immediate than we ever did in kind of the traditional print-bound book, heavily researched, um, shows up at your bookstore kind of delivery model. So it's been kind of a crazy ride. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this this year, 2019, because in the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. you were promoted uh, into the role of executive marketing manager in content marketing, and you took, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you changed things quite a bit. Most, most companies uh, are in this place where, right, the assets on the website are kind of scattered about random acts of, of marketing content, and you took a very different strategy and approach. You, you brought in some technology. So I want to talk about what led to that, right? So for people listening mm-hmm. who have downloadable assets and landing pages and forms and take that approach, while you're still doing some of that from a campaign perspective, you're now aggregating and, and creating more of a, a Netflix type experience for, for content. So what was the genesis? How did you know like this is the, this is the right direction to go or make the decision to, to take a departure from what was done? Take us through that and then what the journey's been like. Yeah, I mean, I would say it all started to bubble up, I want to say about two or three years ago. Like I mentioned, there had been a lot of us in product marketing kind of working in our own silos with our own courses. Um, but it was very disparate. You know, we all kind of worked on our own thing and, and there wasn't a lot of centralized communication out there to the world. Um, and I would say one of the, the kind of legacy items of that is we had exactly what you said, which is 
kind of content scattered everywhere and anywhere on our website. And they were really difficult to find. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I moved into this role of like a centralized content marketing manager, um, I was still having the infrastructure problems of being able to give people kind of a singular location or a one-stop shop to get advice or classroom best practices or resources because everything was built on landing pages that you really couldn't find without the direct link. Um, and there just wasn't any good methodology behind how people could look at our material or look at our, our advice aside from kind of knowing someone already on where to go. So we started that way, but one of the things that we really wanted to build was kind of how all of our customers, because we actually serve quite a few different customer profiles, could find material. Mm-hmm. So how our administrator, um, how our administrator customers or instructors or students themselves could kind of find everything without having to search our website or search the web with a lot of difficulty. So that was kind of the, the reason for moving something. (laughs) And did you just, if I recall, you didn't just change and organize the website and website navigation. Didn't you launch a special custom domain for for the content or was that still folded into the main site? No, actually that is, is kind of exactly what we ended up deciding to do because everything was, like I said, kind of on these separated islands, these landing pages that that were really a one-time use. And education, I mean, education itself is very cyclical. You know, every semester starts anew. So we were reinventing the wheel quite a bit because mm-hmm. you would have something that you might launch at the beginning of a semester um, and it's unfindable by the end a few months later. Yeah. So we decided kind of a new site or a new section of our website was necessary so we could create kind of content that was much more evergreen, something that we could give to anyone and everyone, no matter what customer profile they fit under. Um, and allow them to kind of get personalized material and recommendations all in one one area. Got it. But I will say the the build of that, of course, was the big question. Like, how are we going to create this with the existing infrastructure we had? So we had to think of a couple of like really key items about how we could scale something, but also make it integrate with the rest of our site. Because the site itself, of course, has quite a bit of other components, like I'm sure most people do you know, regarding e-commerce and product detail and customer support pages that were already running at full speed. So when you brought this initiative forward, does WebOps report into the same department as you are in, or is, is WebOps in a different different group? It's a different group. It's a centralized group. So that was probably for us one of the biggest challenges. We have, um, we have a, a great centralized kind of web team, but I'm sure many marketers have experienced this before. They also um, have to deal with requests for product enhancement. And because so much of our content and so much of our product has moved digitally, that's quite a few asks every semester um, that we want to improve upon. So marketing tends to get, you know, pushed to the bottom of the pile in terms of requests. Um, It's just not, you know, it's not a priority when you're looking at how to improve students learning in the classroom. Yeah. I was asking about it because I was having dinner with a client last night and Naomi's over at EFI and they've just completed their implementation of Marketo, pretty substantial migration from, they were on Adobe campaign to Marketo, moved something like 1500 programs. My team worked very closely with her team. And one of the things that we were talking about last night is organizational structures and should web ops be under marketing operations or closer together. We talked about the pros and cons of, you know, when, when the website is not owned by marketing, either owned by IT or a different group, 
it can sometimes be very challenging when you're bringing whole scale changes to the website from a marketing centric perspective to get that buy-in and get the resources to do it. I'm just wondering if you had any thoughts or what your experience was like around that. It's incredibly difficult. I mean, I would say probably most marketers have faced a similar question. If, if web ops are not reporting to a marketing or a central marketing figure, you know, any request to the website, any request to enhancements or new builds, they tend to get pushed down. And I can understand it from a product standpoint or from a development standpoint. But if you can't share the information that you're building or what you're creating or how it might affect the, the end user, um, I think you're you're doing probably a disservice to all of the new and cool features that you're creating in your product. So I'm probably a little biased, but I'm definitely a proponent of having um, web op, web um, website teams report directly into marketing, or at least have a, a strong liaison or kind of dotted line for that kind of kind of uh, alignment. Because I think otherwise you tend to focus only on what you can create and not how you can share what you create. It's didn't expect to talk about the topic today, and I'm I'm glad I'm glad we're we're hitting it because you, the the project that you worked on required just tremendous collaboration between the groups. So walk walk us through it. You said, okay, mm-hmm. we're gonna not have all these different assets all around the site. Create a different buyer experience. Create a different customer experience. And you knew that you needed some technology to make it happen. What would that process look like? What tools did you evaluate? And let's talk about where you settled, and then what the implementation and, and the work's been involved there. So now you know you need a, a big initiative and uh, you know just, just hard coding this on the website was not going to do it. There's tools out there for it. So what was that process? Absolutely. So we looked at quite a different uh, amount of vendors because, again, we had some, some thoughts in our head of what we wanted it to be. Um, so we knew we wanted some outside features like AI recommendations or kind of personalization for our content. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew we wanted connections or capability at least to connect our content to different parts of the website because um, we figured once we built this section or this content hub, we could then work backwards and embed it in different parts of our e-commerce channels or our product detail pages um, to really let things flow cleanly throughout the whole site from McGraw Hill. And we knew we wanted something that was fairly out of the box in terms of structure. So that way we could put our own branding and our own design on things. But it would be a fairly uh, easy implementation for our website team because we just knew we weren't going to be able to get the allocation of resources or the allocation of time on our development roadmap. Right. Um, and we didn't want to wait you know, an extra year or two years to kind of get what we wanted. So we looked around quite extensively, but the per- the group that we came up to and we kept coming back to as kind of the perfect partner was Uberflip, um, which is a company out of, of Toronto um, who had shown us kind of their their capabilities. And then what was great is that they showed us several different existing customers um, that they had already created and scaled up so we could kind of look at what was possible and also sell it internally to our own leadership and website teams. Because without kind of a visual of what could be, I don't think we would have gotten to where we are right now. When you selected the platform, by the way, for those of you not familiar with Uberflip, I've done at least one episode with Randy Frisch, who's one of the co-founders. So search for Randy in Demand Gen Radio, the episode I did with him. Uh, and you can learn more specific about the platform, but just in a soundbite, uh, I mentioned that Netflix experience. And so Uberflip is a, one of the capabilities they provide is a content hub. So Marissa, as you share, you know, do you want to build it or do you want to buy, right? You could have had the web ops and dev team 
try to create something, but, and, and some people go down that path, which is always makes me scratch my head um, because the tools aren't necessarily expensive. And there's a whole engineering team that's taking the input of what thousand plus customers and, and, you know, refining the tools. We use Uberflip ourselves on demandgen.com. And so we've got a pretty extensive, very extensive resources uh, area. What was the experience like for you? So, you know, you see the demos, you go through the evaluation, you read about uh, the capabilities and learn and you make the buying decision and then it's implementation time. Uh, what's, what was the implementation like and what were some of the parts of it that maybe um, went really, really well and, and were delightful in terms of the aspects of the platform that maybe you dug in deeper and then others that advice and, and I don't know if caution, but advice that you have for someone else on what the total cost of ownership, like what the workload uh, can look like when you're deploying a, a hub like that. Yeah, so we um, when we first started this, one of the beginning tasks or kind of big ideas for us was how are we going to integrate, like I was mentioning before, every different type of customer onto kind of one experience because it's a tall order. I mean, administrators and instructors and students are all folks that we're concerned about and we all want to speak to, but they have very different needs and they have very different ways of looking at things. Totally. Um, so we so we wanted to find something that could be easy to to navigate, but also kind of have representation for all of those groups. So the way we organized our content, or we started kind of with um, talking to Uberflip about how we wanted to create our content and organize it, was around this idea of profiles. Um, we actually have on our website kind of an I am dropdown or category that starts everything off that lets faculty and students and administrators kind of self-select um, the content that might be interesting to them. because. Again, while they have all own, their own interesting needs, they also kind of also like to know what the other side is doing. So it gives a lot of kind of self-navigation and opportunity um, to start with. And that's how we began with kind of structuring all the content and design and creation needs. Um, it was based on this idea of like self, self-navigation and profile kind of creation. So for the navigation path, it's interesting because when I was at LMA prior to starting DemandGen, we had very distinct buyer personas, as you said. We, uh, for us, it was uh, mortgage brokers, loan officers, and processors. And when we went to market with our products, we made sure that our demos and our content became very broken out by those different personas because it's a very different value proposition. So it sounds like you've organized the content that way so that your, your you know, pre-K-12 audiences or higher ed audiences can self-select and say, this is my doorway and let me go get the content that's really relevant for me and then browse by, I guess, program or subject or, or even grades. But you didn't gate it off so that if, if people want to travel or navigate through the different areas, if it's relevant, uh, they can certainly do that. So really, really nice way to organize the content. How'd you figure out like the wireframing and the, the design? What, what was the, who was involved in that? So it was myself. And then what we did is we took, um, we have a, a pretty robust kind of uh, digital faculty and student ambassador program internally at McGraw-Hill. And these are all folks who teach or are in college themselves um, who have worked either with our products or have worked with many folks internally at McGraw to develop content because, of course, they're, you know, they're the experts on a lot of this course material. Um, so we started with them just to see if we were on the right track. We kind of wanted to build from the beginning um, kind of a self-feedback loop. Like, is this the way we should go? Are there suggestions? Are there things that we're not thinking about when you're kind of contemplating what help you need? Um, and one of the things that kind of came out of that was besides the, the profiles themselves of student or instructor, um, 
there's also, again, education is very cyclical for a certain time period. There's start of the semester or midterm and then an end. So we also wanted to build content that reflected kind of that digital or that, that buyer's journey on how they might see different content pieces at different times of the year. So we started to kind of create categories or thematic material um, around things that are pretty easily recognizable. Like, for example, we have, you know, student content on back to school Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, uh, for instructors, we have an entire section on exams and grading advice um, or, you know, classroom best practices or for students, it might be how to plan your career or how to plan graduation. So we tried to incorporate a personalization of the, the profile, but also kind of a a customization of what timeline or what time kind of need they might have during the entire course of the semester. I love the strategy that you are giving to get, right? You're thinking about not just like a lot of companies, whereas, okay, what brochures or case studies or information about our products can we push out? You've taken a very thoughtful approach in saying, okay, what would these different personas value and want as tools or items and let's make those things available to them in these resource uh, hubs. And I, I don't think a lot of people naturally get to that right away. Their, their organization of their content and resources um, historically has been a lot more about our features and products and feeds and speeds and such. And McGraw-Hill maybe being a publisher and, and your certainly passion for content marketing and um, literature just uh, makes great sense. And I'd like to say that our marketing team has taken the similar approach where a lot of the tools that we have in our resource hub are tools for marketing operations and tools for various roles within MarTech and demand generation so that we have resources, whether it's um, tools like uh, how do you assess your MarTech stack or planning tools for rolling out a big project, uh, lead scoring handbooks and, and such. So Great, great job doing that. How do you measure and know it's, it's being successful, what you guys have put in place? How do you know it's working? So for me or for our team, we've kind of taken a, an internal and external approach to measuring success because McGraw-Hill, I'm sure, like a lot of companies, it's, it's a fairly sizable group um, and it has a lot of silos within it, no matter how many times we try to uh, break them down. So there's, you know, centralized marketing, there's sales, there's product marketing, there's editorial. So there's quite a few kind of cooks in the kitchen. So at least internally, one of the big things that we've been pushing has been a rollout and integration of using our external facing content um, for also internal planning. So, you know, marketing planning, editorial content planning, wherever we could think of um, areas that would be a natural fit, like our demand gen team. Um, we've been doing a lot of internal heavy promotion about using this content um, in all different avenues of kind of our day-to-day interactions with customers. And at least, you know, anecdotally from from most of my colleagues, it's been actually a pretty positive response because like I said, it's an it's easy one kind of location for people to go to. Yeah. So at least internally, we've been doing a lot of promotion of the content itself and how it looks. Um, and how people can use this in their day-to-day jobs, because we want to put the full weight and the full force of McGraw-Hill kind of uh, engine, if you will, behind sharing this material. So for example, like our demand gen team is now looking at these content streams and saying, you know, for our campaign coming up, um, you know, where does it make sense to talk about student engagement or where does it make sense to talk to students about study tips or time management? And it's a really easy way to kind of blend internally our, our content practices 
with our outbound strategy. Um, so we're, we're curious to see how it goes, but the anecdotal feedback has been really, really positive because it looks great. It's easy to find. And I can already start seeing in all of the documentation internally, like how people are starting to say which content, which content pieces they'll be using um, from this new hub. And then externally, um, we're definitely using Uberflip metrics pretty heavily because um, they, they came with a much more robust reporting system than we had before around content. You know, before we pretty much had Adobe Analytics and we can track, you know, what was happening or who was coming to our page or visits, but we didn't have a great content scoring opportunity to see which pieces were performing best or how they were being shared aside from what we could gather on our social channels or from Adobe. So we're using a lot of the material in Uberflip kind of content performance and visitor insight reporting uh, to see how things are performing with our external customers. Yeah, cool. We, we, uh, so we're, as I said, we're using Uberflip as well, and our marketing team uses those same dashboards. The other things we're doing, which I want to talk about whether, you know, to gate or not to gate, is that we, mm. uh, we've created some hidden fields and pass some variables through so that when we're capturing the information in our marketing automation system, we're also passing some of that data through to our CRM so that whether it's campaign attribution and campaign membership, or just like you said, the kind of greatest hits content so that our sales team uh, and services team can see what our clients are reading because they're not accessing Uberflip directly, but this way it gets the, they get to see what some of the assets and content they're, they're creating. Sounds like you guys take a, a bit of similar approach. Yeah, and that's a great point. We, um, one of the nice things and one of the reasons we got Uberflip approved is we were able to integrate it with our existing Marketo integration. And I will say, you know, we've been doing content a bit on our site for a while now, but um, our MLQ, like our scoring me mechanisms were super low. We, we just didn't value content essentially on our site very much internally. Okay. Um, the content hub was one of the abilities to allow us to say how much more of an investment we should be making in this. And it's been a really easy kind of transition to talking to other teams who manage our Marketo account, manage our CMS, like saying this is so much more important now than you realize and getting those kind of scores boosted um, for content consumption. So it is kind of passing those leads on more successfully and more prominently now internally. To gate or not to gate? How have you guys approached mm. that? Um, what's What's been the, the strategy on, on whether people have to fill out a form to get any of the assets? So we've done dating for a while on different landing pages, um, and we've had you know some success and some mixed results. Um, the strategy we've started to take with our content has been um, to gate things that we feel are tangible assets, things that are worth people's time and effort to put in their information. So I say that with things like um, resume templates or um, new instructor getting started checklists or, um, or webinar sessions that offer a professional development certificate at the end or student kind of workshop sessions on uh, career advice. So anything that we could think of that was a tangible asset or a tangible collateral material that people could use and kind of transform and personalize themselves, we've decided to gate because it's a really easy way to say, we've offered something of pretty high value. Um, all we're really asking for is your email and your name mm -hmm. uh, in order to obtain this. 
And that's worked out pretty well for us because it's definitely, like you were saying before, a give and a get. You know, they, they're getting something for free, something very tangible, but we are also getting their information. And you've kept it to just a few fields, it sounds like, not a, not a big uh, inquisition uh, for them to get past the mm-hmm. gate. Yeah, and I will say, too, the idea of having things cookied and tracked has, has existed, obviously, for a while for most people on our site. But the integration of the new content hub with Uberflip has definitely allowed it to be a bit smoother. Yeah. Um, the design and the gating and the fields are just, they're a little bit easier and kind of more modernized for people. So it seems like less of a request or less of an ask. Um, and we're experimenting in the future with kind of more progressive gating and questioning um, going forward. Yeah. But I think that's kind of our, our line in the sand, you know, basic advice and basic best practices in, in classrooms we're definitely keeping open and keeping ungated because, you know, it's, it's kind of in the spirit of, uh, of education and academia to share what's working. Yeah. They've been a partner of ours now for several years and we've helped them with some of the integration requirements because we have clients like you that are on Marketo, a lot of clients on Marketo and, and historically lots of clients on Eloqua. We also have clients that are on HubSpot and Pardot. And some of these clients are either, you know, on those platforms or starting on those platforms and getting our help to move to others, but each of them, you know, if they have Uberflip, need that form integration and data capture requirements. So we've been tr- contributing as much as we can on, hey, here's some things to think about in your next product rev, just to make sure that the experience is really good, that the UI is really good, and that the data is properly getting mm-hmm. uh, getting passed. The, uh, the forms that you do, they appear once, right? You mentioned about cookies, and so the experience is hey, uh, if we don't know who you are and this is a gated item, then you're going to give us the information. But then when they come back, there's no form because they're now a known visitor, assuming that they're on the same computer, same same cookie and do that. Are you doing any progressive profiling or just a standard couple fields that you're asking and, and that's it? Right now, we've started with um, the basic standard ask, um, mainly because we know a fair amount of our customers. But I do think that progressive gating, particularly with students who tend to turn over, obviously, semester to semester in different classes, and administrators whose roles and focus might change is something that we're going to be exploring more and more um, because we want to understand what's the most pressing concerns or needs from them and what content might be a best fit. Yeah. Um, but for right now, we kind of started or launched with the basic kind of gating. Um, and to your point, once they enter it once, it's kind of smooth sailing from there. They can get into the material and we can still collect their information pretty readily. So much, much like designing a website, I mean, it is a website, it's mm-hmm. a resource hub. You thought through the different buyer personas and giving them doorways so they can self-select. And then you thought about ways to organize the content. Um, I know from my conversations with you that you have a real passion for this. Like, I want to get the right messaging and the right content to people at different parts of their journey. So how do you, how do, you do that? I mean, how have you mapped that? Mm-hmm. And what was the process look like to make that happen? So once we kind of got feedback from faculty and students on what were their pressing concerns, we started with that kind of navigation of what are our top areas of of issue and and interest. And we looked at what legacy content we had prior, because like I said, McGraw-Hill's been around for a long time. Um, So there's quite a bit of material that even though it's a bit older, it's it's certainly not, you know, dead or it's not, you know, uh, outdated. It's just older when it published. So we looked at kind of a a site map of what we had in existence across every different landing page and different section of of the site that we could find. Um, And we tried to figure out category-wise what needed more development and what was probably good, at least for a V1 launch. 
And where we saw big gaps, we started reaching out to our kind of like I was mentioning, DFC, which are our digital faculty program and our student ambassador program, um, to see which folks had an interesting take on different content pieces we could put into these, these different themes or these different categories. Um, so we ended up, I think, with, with looking at the legacy content, probably around 250 to 300 content pieces wow. that we thought were, were viable. That's a lot. Um, it's quite a bit. And then we identified different categories where we thought that we really needed something more uh, robust or something more updated or just a new take on material. And we kind of did a dual approach where we were working with Uberflip to get everything in existence up, but we were simultaneously developing kind of material for the gaps, if you will, okay. um, that we could launch pretty readily once the site was available. And for folks that have never done this, uh, most of your assets, I imagine, were PDF-oriented assets. What was some of the work involved in terms of converting your content to content that can go up into Uberflip and then creating like thumbnails and descriptions and that type of stuff? What was that process like? How'd you approach that with, with you know, several hundred assets? Yep. So, I mean, unfortunately for us, we never set up our site or never set up our content in a way that could be easily imported, like an RSS feed. Um, so we had a pretty hefty uh, slog in terms of getting all of our content essentially rewritten or pasted or, or imported into the new model. Mm -hmm. um, Uberflip was actually great with this. We, we definitely uh, leaned on them pretty heavily in terms of getting everything set up and, and available in our site. Um, because we just, from our, our own size, our team is pretty lean. We didn't have the resources or the staffing to do that over, you know, 300 content pieces. Um, so they were great. They had a lot of resources and kind of uh, design folks that helped us get everything up and situated in the site to begin with. Um, but for us, one of the big kind of questions and, and challenges was what the design and the, you know, the aesthetic was going to look like. Um, because we wanted to make sure that this is something that invited people to look at our content. We didn't want it to be standard or boring or kind of trite and stuck with stock photos. We wanted something that was really vibrant. And my challenge, of course, besides wanting that, was how were we going to source that, not just right now, but in the future. So we came up with our design team with a really exciting aesthetic that we could kind of continue to source, which involved um, a lot of design templates that had our iconic red cube from McGraw-Hill, um, using that kind of uh, angled look to take over stock photos and either make them black and white with a little hint of color uh -oh. or nice. um, use the red cube outline to kind of bring a little bit more vibrancy to something that normally you'd kind of maybe look at on Getty and, and just kind of glance over. Um, and that helped us kind of scale it very quickly because we could find stock photos pretty readily that fit. Um, but that aesthetic was pretty easy to apply um, and make things look really uniformed and kind of brand aligned without going crazy on our side or Uberflip side. The, the red that you've picked, uh, well, not you personally, but that McGraw-Hill has, <laughs> it's, it's a nice red. You know, there's, there's a lot of red logos out there in the world. Of course, Target's famous for their red and Coke and Oracle. And it's, it's one of those reds that you said, like, it's vibrant. Um, but it's not, it's not off-putting. Like it's not the, the red stop mm -hmm. sign experience where it's, but, but uh, a bit more inviting and such, such, um, such an icon for a company that's been around, like you said, what, 130 years. So you've mm -hmm. managed the team, recruited and, and hired the team to produce, uh, as you said, like 300 plus pieces of content and the, the blog itself that you put up, um, you know, tens of thousands of views. 
uh, for that. Do you feel a sense of success in the work? Do you feel a sense of like, okay, check completed? Or are you on a, is the quest continuing? And, and, and if so, what's next? There was a moment, I think, one internal presentation where I gave and I showed them the look of, of the new content hub. Um, and there was like a very brief moment of like applause and excitement. And I did feel like a moment of like, yes, like we've achieved it. Like this looks fantastic. It's exactly what we promised. And then that, of course, moved on to, so what are we going to do next? What are we, how are we going to improve this? Um, how are we going to make this better? Um, so there was a fleeting second for me, but now, of course, it's on to the newer and better thing. So while the hub itself, I'm, I'm really pleased with and I'm really happy. And I think every piece of feedback from our internal and our external customers have been positive, which is very hard to do. I mean, there, no one loves everything. I mean, there's always a complaint somewhere. Nice. Um, but it's been really positive, but for us, the next big thing or the next stage of kind of evolution for this is definitely on building the content into more interactive pieces. So where we're kind of looking forward is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting because I think there's a lot to be done, um, with infographics, with interactive material, online quizzes, um, just things that are a little bit less standard than the traditional BuzzFeed or kind of listicle article that we tend to have a lot of, um, we're definitely looking into expanding kind of, like I was mentioning, more tangible content pieces that people could download or log into or engage with on our site um, and use it kind of in their own personal lives or in their own careers. Because I do think from a content standpoint, what drives people to engage with you the most um, is something that can influence or affect your day-to-day activities. You know, if you're a student studying for a test, you want advice on that. If you're an instructor trying to manage your grade book, you probably want advice on that. Those kind of nitty-gritty um, pieces that we can kind of inject ourselves into for folks in their everyday, I think is what's usually the most consumable and the most exciting material. So we're looking to kind of explore a lot more interactive pieces around those areas. Nice. I did a podcast too with the guys from Scorch slash Ping Pilot. Uh, and I talked with, I interviewed Chris, the founder of Ping Pilot, about conversational content. So you talk about the interactive capability, which I know you meant from a UI and, and interactive experience. Uh, what Ping Pilot's been working on is the ability to have click to human within the content so that if you're reading something or experiencing something and you want to talk or chat uh, right with someone, that you can do that really from one click right within the content. So Still innovation coming on to make sure that that buyers and sellers, you know, companies and customers can connect uh, easily. Yeah, you were saying it. I, I call it the one third rule where one you mentioned before about how people felt about different things, you know, like one third love it, one third just are happy the project's done and one third, nah, I don't love it. And so you know, it's just a constant, <laughs> constant quest in marketing. Uh, you can't please everybody and, every, you know, design is designs one thing, but results are something else. And you guys have been incredibly successful with it. Are you going to be up at uh, Connex uh, this year, the Uberflips annual event? Are you going to make it up there for that? I am actually. I'm, I'm going to be presenting um, on the content hub and how uh, organization engagement kind of go hand in hand for their workshop day. Cool. So we get Marissa live up there. Yeah, they, they invited <laughs> my team as well. So Patty and I, uh, at a minimum from DemandGen, are going to be up at Connex this year and uh, giving some presentations. Patty on our team is on the consulting group and works with our clients quite a bit on nurture strategy and content marketing strategy. So um, she, she's oh, busy fantastic. and it was nice that they invited us up. And I think I mentioned to you and, and for folks uh, listening in, we are partnered with Uberflip and that partnership is not just around 
you know, co-marketing together, but we do their implementation. So folks like you and, and others that uh, need help converting these assets, getting this uh, system stitched together, whether it's Marketo or what have you, um, we do their implementations now, which has been really fun to work with their clients on getting these hubs set up because it's really a transformative way to deliver content and interact. And it's very cool that you're using Adobe Analytics and other tools to really see what that buyer experience is like and are they consuming one asset or multiple assets and what categories are they diving into? Are you guys doing anything in terms of podcast content or video content or is it primarily uh, text, text-based and visual-based? We've done quite a bit of text-based and we are starting to expand a lot more into video-based content, um, particularly um, one of two realms, either little tiny snippets um, of material that people can consume quickly or more in, involved or in-depth kind of webinars that are around either professional development or career advice, which tends to play very well with us because, of course, McGraw-Hills is uh, helping educators kind of prepare students. So whether you're looking for help on how to interview or you're looking on help on, on what major or what career to pass to choose, um, we, we tend to be building a lot of material around that. Um, so we're kind of taking both ends of the spectrum in terms of video material. Um, podcast is something that we actually have to look a little bit more into and explore. We have some author podcasts, so, you know, uh, leading folks in psychology disciplines or accounting, um, or biology that have kind of thoughts on their curriculum and their material that we might start to integrate into our content hub. Um, but right now at kind of the thought leadership and brand level level, we've stayed mostly in text and video kind of based material. That's cool. We, um, we take all of the podcasts, so this, uh, this episode and every episode, and we do put that in our own resource hub. In fact, when we, maybe we were pioneering in the day, when we, we started doing the podcast and doing videos, as you mentioned, these short videos, the Uberflip um, design tools didn't have iconography for listen now and watch now. It was all pretty much read now. And so we work with them to get those, those elements inside the system so that you know, you could merchandise really any piece of, of content, whether it was static or uh, interactive or um, video and, and, and voice stuff. So uh, they're great. Yeah, great company. They're really, really passionate about customer service, as you know, and they really want to delight um, their customers. Great, great to talk to you. Well, I will be sure to attend your session up there in Toronto in the great north. And um, thank you so much for, for joining me on, on the podcast. I look forward to meeting you face to face someday and I hope uh, I'm sure people got uh, ideas and thinking about how to reorganize their content on the website and maybe leveraging uh, a platform like Uberflip or just a different approach so that your buyers don't have to go on a scavenger hunt to find your assets because even if you have the best intentions if you look at all the website analytics right people look at maybe two or three pages and they're bye-bye off the website so if you're gonna hook them in and get them to a place where they can grab some content make it easy, make the experience really, really, really good. Kudos to you for, for being a champion of, of change there at uh, McGraw-Hill Education. Very cool. Thank you. All right. Well, that's going to do it, everybody, for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. I hope you enjoyed hearing uh, Marissa's journey and the, and the work that she's done there at McGraw-Hill Education. If you want to connect with her on LinkedIn, it is Marissa Cavanaugh, M-A-R-I-S-A, uh, Cavanaugh in the traditional, I guess, Irish spelling, right? Irish? That's correct. Yeah. Cool. All right. That's going to do it. We'll catch everybody on the next episode. Have a great day. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world. 
to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 